Well, turning your Bibles to Genesis 49, we're, of course, continuing our study of the book of Genesis. We've had a great time. We've gone through it verse by verse and passage by passage. We call it the the book of the beginnings, and uh, we're near the end of the study. We bring to mind, really, the central truth of the book, and that is the sovereignty of God working all the events of our lives. He brings everything to pass, the counsel of his will. He's working behind everything, even when we see this the last event, whereas the brothers of Joseph come to him, and they're a little bit worried. They're thinking, oh, no, what's he going to do now that Dad is gone, and he, we did him wrong. Is he going to get us back? In Genesis, we see God's great promises, the Messiah and the Savior, beginning from Adam and Eve, going through Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, and even down to Judah, the promise that God would send a Savior to mankind and would bring the the provision there. Genesis closes, of course, when you look at it and you think about it, Genesis begins with creation and life and ends with death. And it closes with the death of Jacob and then the death of Joseph. We'll see the death of Jacob in our passage in in chapter 49 and then the death of Joseph in chapter 50. We won't get that till next time, but uh, there's a lot there. As we see the final days... Of Joseph, the whole issue of forgiveness comes right back again. How will Joseph treat his brothers now that the dad Jacob is gone? We're going to take a look at forgiveness. I think it's an important subject because in our lives, there, we we get hurt. We get hurt. We either do wrong to people, or they do wrong to us. And sometimes there's relationships there that that are broken because somebody says, "Well, I'm not forgiving them, or I will forgive them, but maybe they won't forgive me, or whatever." And we're going to see how that ties together. Let's start with prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night! Thank you, Lord, for this—the privilege we have coming together. Great songs, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to sing praises to the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we love you, and we thank you for the Bible. How perfect your Word is. Help us now, Lord, as we look at the Book of Genesis, especially the last part, and seeing how this fits together. Lord, thank you most of all for Jesus, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, in our relationships, there are times that we do hurt one another, whether it's in our marriages or friendship or work or even in the church. We say things, we do wrong things, we hurt one another, we're misunderstood. Say we don't even maybe do it on purpose, but sometimes things go wrong. Realize that we're fallen, that we live in a fallen world, and this is going to happen. So how do we deal with it? What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do when other people hurt us? Let's think about that. What if somebody does us wrong? What are we supposed to do? Well, the key is forgiveness. I think think there it is. The key is forgiveness. We forgive one another. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Let love cover over a multitude of of sins. Let love cover over. There's, when we are wrong, let love cover. First Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. What do we do when people do us wrong? Well, the bottom line is we forgive them. Whether they think they've done wrong or not, whether they ask for forgiveness or not, and we'll see more of it as we get into the passage. Well, this evening we're seeing Genesis right at the end, this whole issue of forgiveness. But after Jacob's death, the brothers wonder, will, will Joseph, will he get them back? Will he get them back for what they, what he, they did to him? Jacob is gone. There's no check there now. Since the dad is gone, what will Joseph do? Well, we're going to see. In this study, this evening, really two things. We see the death of Jacob and we see Joseph. And the key there is forgiveness. So we begin with the death of Jacob and, and then we see what the brothers do after that. Let me break down the passage for you just so you can see how it fits. The death of Jacob, we start in chapter 49, beginning about verse 28 through 33. This is where he dies. He talks about the blessings and he talks about the promises, what he wants them to do. Then in verses 1 through 14 of chapter 50, we see the burial of Jacob. They go back to Canaan. That's what he wanted them to do. And we'll talk about why he did that. And then 
in verses 15 through 21, we'll see Joseph's forgiveness because we see the brothers are afraid and we see how Joseph responds to all that. So it's really, really powerful. And as we look at that last part, we'll do, we'll do some study on the idea of forgiveness. Well, let's begin. Look at verse 28, which is really a summary, and it says this. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them when he blessed them. He blessed them, everyone, with the blessings appropriate to him. Now, he says, these are the twelve sons. Well, the twelve sons are actually the twelve tribes. Now, I want you to remember something. We're talking about Jacob. The name Jacob means deceiver. Jacob's other name was Israel, which means prince of God. Sometimes in the scripture we'll say, and Israel said, and it's talking about the same person, Jacob or Israel, same one. And so it says, these are the 12 tribes of Israel. These are the 12 sons. Really, you could say, these are the 12 sons of Jacob. This is what their father, Jacob, said to them when he blessed them. And he blessed them, everyone, with the appropriate, with basically, basically the blessings that were appropriate to them. We saw that of the 12 sons, there were... There were three that would actually got negative, very negative information. There were two that had very positive information, which was uh, Judah and Joseph. And then the others, just a little bit was mentioned about them. Uh, one of the things that we saw and realized is that how we live affects other people. And how we live now actually affects those that come after us, not only our children, but maybe our grandchildren, affects those around us as well. And so we want to live in such a way that we have a, a, what we might call is a good legacy and not a, a bad legacy in that sense. Look at Jacob's final statements, verse 29. Then he charged them and said to them, I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. He goes on to say, this is in the cave in which is the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham brought along with the field from Ephron, the Hittite, for a burial site. Now, you have to go all the way back, and I'm not going to take the time to turn back to the passages, but if you remember Abraham, when his wife Sarah, Sarah died, he, he didn't have any land, even though God had told Abraham, this land is yours forever. This is your land and the descendants' land. But he never actually owned any of the land. And when Sarah died, he didn't even have a place to bury her. So he went to, the, he went to an area, a guy named Ephraim, who was a Hittite. And he talked with him and he talked to some other people. And this is a, an area by a man's name was Mamre. And he had a, had a field. And the field was near a cave called Machpelah. And he said, I'd like to buy the field and the cave to bury my dead. And as you remember, they had a kind of a back and forth thing. And Abraham ended up buying this one little place of land and a cave to bury Sarah. And, of course, after Abraham died, Abraham and Sarah are buried there, and then Isaac and Rebekah are buried there. We'll see more about it. So here's what Jacob says. This was his granddaddy and his daddy. He said, I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers, that's Abraham and Isaac, in the cave that is in the field of Ephraim the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre. Mamre's a person. In the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field from Ephron the Hittite for a burial site. So he says, I want to go back there. I want to be buried there. He has already made this request to Joseph earlier, but now that all the sons are there and they're all going through everything, he says, this is what I want to do. When he says, I'm going to be gathered to my people, that means he's about to die. Death is never seen as annihilation. Never in the scripture. Human beings live forever, and that's not accurate. Human beings exist forever. Some people live forever. That's called eternal life, and that's with Jesus Christ. Some people die forever. That's called the second death, and that's separation from God. 
So death is never seen as annihilation. That when a person dies, they cease to exist. Never. And there is an aspect of resurrection which you know from the scripture that every human being is going to be raised from the dead. And we're talking about a physical resurrection. And some will be raised from the dead to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. That's eternal life. Some will be raised from the dead to spend eternity separated from Jesus Christ. That's the second death. And it's called the lake of fire. So that is the truth. He, he has this request. And he says, I think I've got it. Please bury me in Canaan in the cave of Machpelah. Now you could, could, could raise the, the question, why in the world when his... Basically, all of his family's here now in the sense that the ones that are alive, all of his sons are here in Egypt, everybody's in Egypt. Why would he want to be buried in that cave back there? Well, here's why. First of all, that's the land that belongs to the Jewish people. The promise to Abraham, on to Isaac, on to Jacob, and on down is that this land is what will be given to the the nation of Israel for all eternity. In that sense, as long as this, this world exists anyway. And so he knows that land belongs to them. He also knows that one day, even after he's dead, he's going to be raised from the dead. And basically he's saying, I don't want to be raised from the dead in Egypt. I want to be raised from the dead in my land. And so he says, I want you to take me back and bury me there. He bought, Abraham had bought this land for Sarah and all of the families buried there except Rachel. Notice what it goes on to say. It says in verse 31, For there they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah. There they buried Isaac and his wife Rebekah. And there I buried, now Jacob is talking, I buried Leah. Now, Abraham was married to Sarah. Isaac was married to Rebekah. Jacob was married to who? Rachel and Leah, and then the two handmaidens. Why, why, why is Leah buried there and not Rachel? Rachel was his favorite one. But they were, they were traveling, and she died, and he buried her at Bethlehem because that's where she died. So he's basically saying, I want to get back and be buried where Abraham and, I, Abraham and Sarah are and Isaac and Rebekah, and, and then that's where I buried Leah. That's where I want to go. I want to go where all the family is. You remember we talked about, and we always talk about the nation of Israel. But when they went down into Egypt, and this time that we're looking at at the very end of Genesis, they went down with 70 people. So they're not a nation. They're not a people group, a big what we call a people group. They're actually a big family. We don't know how many people they're up to now because basically this is about 17 years later. By the time he dies, uh, Joseph is, has now been, they've all been together now about 17 years. So he's going to die. We don't know. There may be 200 of them now. We know that some 400 years later, when they come out as as they come out of slavery, they come out with probably two million people, and that's when they're a nation. That's when they get the law. That's when God sets them apart in that people group. So He says that's where Abraham and his wife Sarah are there. That's where they buried Isaac and, and his wife Rebecca, and that's where I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it purchased from the sons of Heath. He says that's what I want to do. He believed the promise, the promise that the land belonged to them. And you know that promise is true. You understand that what land that God gave to Abraham 4,000 years ago, that land is their land. That land will always be that, their land. And when people argue today on is it Palestine, is it the Palestinians' land, what part belongs to who, what part belongs to this, listen, it belongs to Israel. It is their land promised to them by God. There will come a time in which will they'll control that land and live in that land in peace and harmony. And not only that part that we call Israel, but it will stretch all the way over to the River Nile and all the way over to the Tigris-Euphrates River. That will be the land that was promised to them. We saw it in the book of Genesis earlier when he actually gave the dimensions. 
what happened. Jacob finished charging his sons. He drew his feet into the bed because many had been sitting up to bless them. And now he, in a sense, lays back in the bed, draws his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. You know, I don't know about you, but if you if you really read this uh, like the real people than they are, you could go, oh, Jacob died. You ever feel that way? When I first started growing as a Christian and, and I was really on fire and I started reading everything. I read every one of Paul's letters, all 13 letters, and I loved Paul. And I read everything I could read about Paul. I read about his background, his life. I love Paul the Apostle. And for a while, you know, we, we know he died. And so I thought, I'm not going to read how he died. I don't want to know. I don't even think about Paul dying. Now, he's been dead a long time. But I just didn't want to think about it, right? And sometimes when you study these things, you, you should say, what, what if I was there? How would I feel? What if I was Joseph? And Jacob, who, who, who for the first 17 years of my life, I was with my dad. And then for a pretty long time, I wasn't with my dad. And then the last 17 years of my dad's life, I was with him. And now he dies. And he just got through blessing me. If I'm Joseph, he just, he just got through blessing me. And then he dies. This is the end of the patriarchs. The patriarchs are three men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And look at it this way. Abraham was the man of faith. He was. He was the man who his name was Abram, which means big daddy, high father. And God told him to leave the earth of the Chaldees, go to a land that he would show him, and a land that he would give him, and he would give him a great nation. God changed his name to Abraham, father of many nations. He was a great man of faith. In fact, throughout the Scripture, the Bible always talk about that we have faith like Abraham because Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. We have Isaac, who was a man of courage. Now, you think of Isaac. He was the quiet one. Not much is written about him. He only gets about two chapters. Think about it. Isaac could say, it's not really fair. Abraham got a lot of chapters. Jacob got a lot of chapters. Isaac, I'm Isaac. I only got two chapters, really two, two and a half chapters. He's the man of courage. He was the guy that as a young boy, he was willing to let his father sacrifice him. Because I want you to understand that Isaac could have run off. Jacob, Abraham was an old man when he got ready to sacrifice him. I mean, I don't think he's going to catch him, right? If he's going to run off, he's not going to catch him. He was willing to lay on that altar and allow his dad to kill him because he believed, as his dad did, that God would raise him from the dead. A man of courage. And then we see Jacob, the father of the nation. Jacob, the deceiver. Nickname, his name, other name is Israel, which means prince of God. And so when you look at Jacob, you see a, a duality. A man that spent most of his life deceiving people. And at the same time, he is, he, God is called the God of Jacob and the God of Israel that, more than any other name in the Scripture. When he dies, uh, he's 147 years old. You know, there's always sadness when there's death, and we think, gosh, dog, as believers, we're sad when a loved one dies, uh, but we don't have... Uh, we don't sorrow as those who have no hope, as the unbeliever, because we know that one day we'll all be united again, and we will. We have the hope of eternal life, as the Bible says, that death is not the end. And it doesn't say, he died and that's the last of him. It says, no, he was gathered to his people. We'll move into chapter twenty, uh, chapter 50 and look what Joseph's response was. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. You know, Joseph loved his father. Uh, he was the favorite one all the way up. Got everything. Of course, it, it, you know, up until 17, it was a pretty good life that you're the favored one and you get everything. And then his brothers, you know, threw him in a well and then shipped him off to the Ishmaelites and then he ended up in Egypt and in slavery. And then, by the grace of God, he raises up to great power. But uh, he was always 
the favored one. And says so fell on his face, on his father's face, and wept over him and kissed him. And then here's what Joseph does. He commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. You know who these servants are? They're Egyptian people. Joseph is number two. You remember? Joseph is raised up to second only to Pharaoh in the whole land of Egypt. Here is a former Hebrew slave who is number two in Egypt. He has all power except Whatever the Pharaoh does. I mean, the only person that can tell Joseph anything to do is the Pharaoh, who is considered God in Egypt. So Joseph then commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Notice Jacob and Israel, that's the same name. Now, the embalming was that special process, which you all know as you studied the Egyptians. They had processes that sometimes today we don't even know how they did what they did. But those bodies last forever. I mean, that's just the way they go. Today we, we talk about those embalmed bodies. Well, the people wept. And notice what it says. Now, 40 days were required for it. It took 40 days to do this embalming process for such as the period requires for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him for 70 days. They wept for Jacob for 70 days? You know why they wept for Jacob for 70 days? Because he's Joseph's father. Joseph's number two on the list. And it's the whole nation of Egypt weeps for Jacob. It's amazing. You know, when you look at what the Bible does say, and we saw that the Egyptians, you know, God used the Egyptians and the Israelites. You're going to see there's a huge connection all the way through. Now, if you talk about Iran and Iraq, which is, you know, the Syrian, the Babylonian, that part of the world, there's a huge connection with Israel there. In fact, Iran and Iraq is probably the most mentioned place in the Bible other than Israel. But the Egyptians have an incredible connection with the Jewish people. And you think about it and you say, what kind of connection? We understand that the reason that God removed the Jewish people from the land of Canaan and put them down into Egypt was to protect them and save them. Save them not only during the famine, but save them from the wickedness of the Amorite people who lived in Canaan. Because when they come back 400 years later, they come back and destroy those people in that land. That's the plan because of their wickedness. God knew that if they stayed in that land, they would become just like the Canaanites. So he goes down. He uses Egypt to save them. Really. And then he uses Egypt to strengthen them because they become slaves. And then he shows his great power and brings them out. There's going to come a day, the scripture says, that the Egyptians will believe in the God of Israel and they will be connected with the Jewish people. So it's going to happen. Probably in the kingdom time is when that comes. Okay, anyway, he said, um, here, here's what it says. When the days, uh, verse 33 again, says, Now 40 days were required for it, for such is the period required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. And then here's the plan. When the days of mourning for him were passed, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If I have found favor in your sight, please speak to Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I'm about to die. In my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, that, and then I will return. Now, he gives, sends word to Pharaoh's household. You notice he doesn't go directly to Pharaoh? You know, in a lot of in situations, the Pharaoh, you, you didn't go see the Pharaoh or, or a king or a powerful ruler unless he called for you. You know, when you study the book of Esther and the king Xerxes is there and, and she needs to talk to him, but she says, 
you you can't go in and see the king unless he calls for you. And if you go in without being called for, he may have you killed. You just don't know what's going to happen. And so Joseph, notice what it says. When the days of the morning for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your sight, please speak to Pharaoh. Saying he didn't go directly into the Pharaoh. And he said, My father wants me to bury him back home. Now, Joseph is a hero to, his, to, the, to, to all the people because in this famine, you remember, the people recognized that Joseph saved their lives. So Joseph is a hero in Egypt, even though he's Jewish. It's amazing. He says, let me return to the land of Canaan, bury my father, and I'll come back. Look, Pharaoh says, verse 6, Pharaoh says, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. The an- Pharaoh's answer is, go ahead. Go ahead. Now, you could say, well, what if... What if he goes ahead? What if he goes back to the land of Canaan and he stays there? Why wouldn't he stay there? Famine's been over. Why wouldn't he stay there? Because he he gave his word, didn't he? Joseph was a man of character. Joseph said, "I will go bury my father. Then I will what? Return." Joseph is a man of character. Joseph couldn't say, "This is our chance. We'll get out of here. We'll go back to our land. We'll do our own thing." Of course, Joseph could say, I, I don't really want to get out of here. I'm kind of number two on the list here. It's a pretty good job, right? But Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the households of Joseph and his brothers and his father's household. They left only their little ones and their flocks and their herds in the land of Goshen. So when they go, a whole bunch go. Not only does Joseph go, not only does brothers go, all the leaders of Israel go, of, of the family, let's put it that way, and they all come back, and then a whole bunch of leaders and people in places of responsibility in the Egyptian government, they go up there with him. It's powerful. The servants of Pharaoh and the elders of the household and the elders of the land of Egypt, they're all going. Now, it doesn't say Pharaoh went. Pharaoh didn't go. But he sent a lot of a lot of the main people is going to honor Joseph is what it's all about. The servants of Pharaoh and the elders of the households, they all go. Look at verse 9. There also went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. Anyone seeing this caravan, there's going to be a caravan leaving, leaving Egypt and going all the way back to what we call the promised land of Israel. Going all the way, they're going to go up and around uh, to the east of the Jordan River, and then they're going to cross over, and then they're going to go to that area near where the cave of Machpelah is, and they're going to bury him. That's the plan. So watch what happens. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, that means it's on the east side of the Jordan, they lamented there with a great and sorrowful lamentation, and he observed seven days mourning for his father. So they get there, and it's beyond the Jordan, which means they've come up now on, on the east side of the Jordan River, and they're going to cross over the, and, and, and then uh, go to that area. They've stopped at a threshing floor there, and there's seven days of mourning. Once again, it's for his father. Now, he's already mourned for how many days? First of all, it says they that took 40 days to do the embalming. They already mourned and wept for him for 70 days. Now he gets there, and they have another seven days notice. Now, when the inhabitants of the land of the Canaanites, uh, inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning for the Egyptians. Therefore, it was named Abel Mizran, which is beyond the Jordan. Abel Mizran means mourning of the Egyptians. 
That's what the word, those two words together mean. Mizoram is the word for Egypt. Abo means sadness or mourning. So the, the people looked over there and they said, look at all those Egyptians over there. Now, were they Egyptians? Lump some were Egyptian, but a lot of them were what? Israelites. But what did Joseph look like? Joseph looked like an Egyptian. He'd been there for a long time. When his brothers saw him, you remember the time they came to see him and Joseph is number two? They don't even know who he is. He's, even, he's not even speaking Hebrew. He's speaking Egyptian. He sees his brothers. He recognized them. They don't recognize him because he looks like an Egyptian. So it says they looked over there and they said, wow. Then when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the morning of the threshing floor of Ated, they said, this is a grievous morning for the Egyptians. They named the place Abel Mizraim. Mizraim is Egypt. Abel means the morning of the sadness, the sadness of the Egyptians, which is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had charged them. I think, I, did I put that slide up, the Abel Mizraim one? Oh, yeah, there it is, the morning of Egypt. And, and it says, they did exactly. Their, the sons did as he had charged them. And here's what, like the key, and that is this. They kept their word. First of all, they kept their word to their father. They said, we will bury you there. They also kept their word, especially Joseph kept his word to the Pharaoh because he said, I will go bury my father and then I will return. I think one of the things that we can gain from this is to be people of character. We've talked about it over and over because we've seen through the book and there are times in the book of Genesis that you see people of character and people not of character. You see people do things that are bad, people do things that are good. What we want to do is be people of character. We want to keep our word and if we say we're going to do something, we want to do it. And it's just a matter of trust because when we do what we say we're going to do, people can trust us. And that's how it works. They kept their word. We want to be people who let our yes be yes and our no be no. May, our men, may we be men and women of character. Well, look what happened. Verse 13. Uh, thus is, verse, back, verse 12. Thus his sons did for him as he had charged them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan, buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham had, Abraham had bought along with the field for a burial site from Ephron the Hittite. They did exactly what they said they would do. Now watch. After he buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. Joseph did what he said. And uh, he's a man of his word. Now, as we continue on, we say, okay, we've seen about keeping our word. We've seen the whole idea of the promises and how they, they believe that God, that's their land and they're going to be raised from the dead and they want to be in that land. We've seen that. But now, let's, let's think for a minute. What if, you, what if you're Joseph and your dad is gone and you look around and you see your brothers and when you see your brothers, you remember how they threw you in a well and you remember how they sold you to the Ishmaelites heading down to Egypt and you remember how that they treated you even before all this happened. You could say, you know, I, I've had just about enough because see, while my dad was alive, I didn't want to hurt him. And, but I think I've had enough. Or what if you're one of the brothers? And you, you were actually one of the brothers who said, get in that well, and you threw him down in there. And you went, see there? How about those dreams now, buddy? Because that's what they said. And all this time has come, and Joseph has been there, and he saved your life, and Dad has come, and we've all lived there for these years. And everything has looked good, but Dad's gone now. And what if Joseph said, Dad's gone now. Now we're going to even the score. See, I got all the power. 
I've had all the power from the beginning. I told you you would bow down to me, did I not? I told you that I would be in leadership, and you mistreated me, and now it's time to see what's going to happen. You might think that. You don't know what he's going to do. So the brothers begin to think. Will he get us back? Has Joseph really forgiven? I mean, has Joseph really forgiven? Is he going to get us back? What's going to happen? Now, I want to tell you what Joseph told him, and I think I've got a slide that says Joseph had already told him is look back. Just turn a few pages back to Genesis 45 and look at verse 5. Genesis 45, verse 5, and then we'll look at 7 and 8. This is what Joseph told them when he revealed himself to his brothers, and they were all afraid because they realized, wait a minute, this is the guy we thought we sold into slavery. He's now all-powerful. He could have us killed just like that. And so what did he say to them? Verse 5. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. What does he say? You you threw me in a hole. You thought you were going to just get rid of me. God was working this whole thing. God sent me here to save people's lives. Look at verse 7. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth. And to keep you alive by a great deliverance. It is now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here. Really? No, it was God. He made me a father to Pharaoh. means made me an advisor, a leader to Pharaoh. And a lord of all his household. And a ruler over the land of Egypt. Go back to chapter 50. What did he say to them? When they, when they all got scared at first, he said, listen, listen, don't be upset. Don't be worried about this thing. You thought you were just sending me off to slavery and, and you thought you were doing a bad thing, but really God was behind the whole thing. God's the one who sent me here. God put me here so I could preserve our lives, preserve our nation. What if all the Jewish people would have died? What would have happened? There's no Messiah or Savior. Because the promises through the son of Abraham, through Isaac, and through Jacob, if they all die... There's no Savior of the world. He says, God sent me here to keep a remnant, to keep the people. Well, so Joseph is left now. Dad's gone. What's going to happen? Look at verse 15 of Genesis 50. When, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back and full for all the wrong which we did to him? See, they admit that they did wrong. There's not any question that they did wrong. They said, What if he, what if he decides to get us back? Notice. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father charged before he died saying... Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Do you see what they did? They came and said, Oh, by the way, Dad, Dad wanted us to tell you this. Do you think he's, that, that Jacob said that? They said, uh, We got a note from our father. <laughs> Here's the note. We want you to read the note. Please give my boys a pass. You know, please don't get back your brothers. That's the bottom line is the note was, God, you know, our dad said, please forgive them and don't do anything bad to your brothers. Now, let me ask you something. Uh, they said our fathers told us to tell this to Joseph. Now, if, if that is true, two things. One, if it was true, then Jacob knew the entire story. If it was true, see, because we don't know if they ever really told Joseph, J- Jacob how Joseph got there. We don't know. 
We don't know how the whole thing came out. But if he really did say, be sure and tell your brother not to get you back, then he knew the whole story. If not, they made it up to save themselves. Now, if I'm a betting person, I'm betting they made it up. And so you can see them come, and they made it up. And how does Joseph respond? Joseph doesn't even get mad. What does he do? Joseph wept when they spoke to him. See, it broke Joseph's heart. It broke his heart. He says, oh, my gosh, you guys, do you, do you not believe me? Then his brothers also came and they fell down before him and they said, we are your servants. By the way, this is now the sixth time they have bowed before him, which you remember he told them they'd bow before him. They said, never going to happen. This is now the sixth time that they have bowed before him. Joseph said this, don't be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, he does three things. First of all, number one, he said, don't be afraid. Am I in God's place? He said, it's God is the judge, not me. My job is not to get you. My job is not to, to, to tear you up because you did me wrong. Am I in God's place? When people do wrong, who's the judge? God, not us. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Romans 14, never repay, never repay evil with evil, repay evil with good. Leave room for God's wrath. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. When somebody does you wrong, don't get them back. Let God deal with them. The second thing as he said was this. He said, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. You know what? God's sovereign. God brings about all of this. God is working all events, and he actually says, I work this event for good. You meant it for bad. You were going to throw me into slavery. God meant it for good. He was going to raise me up to power to save all of your lives. And when events happen in our lives, even bad things, we have to say, I don't understand it. I don't even like it. But I know that God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. And then the third thing that he says is, we always know to return good for evil. He says, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, when you think about forgiveness, and there are times in our lives that people hurt us. There, every one of us in this room, somebody has hurt you. And somebody's hurt you bad enough that you would love to get them back. Or you'd love to say, okay, I'm not going to get them back, but I am never going to talk to that person again. I'm never going to have anything to do with that person again because of what they did to me. And how do we deal when somebody hurts us? Well, I think there's several keys when we think about forgiveness. The first one is this, that remember that God is the judge, not us. We don't need to get them back. Vengeance belongs to him. Don't seek to get somebody back when they do you wrong. Don't try to do that. Now, there's a whole difference. Let me just talk about, let's say somebody steals something from you and the police catch them and put them in jail. That's the natural consequences. You don't go get them. You don't go beat them up. You let the law system get them if it's something like that. But bottom line, when somebody does you wrong, it's not your responsibility to get them back. It belongs to God. Second thing is that God is sovereign. He's working all the events. We just saw that. And so when something goes wrong and you're hurt, you have to say, God, for some reason... You allowed this to come into my life. I don't know why. 
And I don't even like it. But you never said I'm supposed to like everything that comes into life. I just have to trust you. The third thing is that repay evil with good. I think this is the hardest of all. Because this actually, the Bible actually says, do not return evil with evil. Return evil with good. Now, the natural response is to return evil with evil. Somebody does us wrong, we're going to get them back. The supernatural response is to return evil with good. It's awfully hard to do good to a person who did you wrong. Is that right? How many of you want to do that? You don't want to do that. Not, not really. You don't. Now, you have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, and you have to live the supernatural life to do that. It's, uh, it's impossible in your flesh. Because your flesh says, I am not doing that. But supernaturally, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do that. Then there's a fourth thing, and that is this, that Ephesians 4.32 says, We forgive as we are forgiven in Christ. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. We forgive others as God has forgiven us. Wow. It's amazing. So the four factors, we just throw them up there real quickly. God is the judge. God is sovereign. Vengeance belongs to him. God is the sovereign one working his plan. He will pay evil with good and forgive others as God and Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Now let me just talk for one quick second. What exactly is forgiveness? Because people don't know what it is. It means to cancel the debt. If somebody's done you wrong, forgiveness means I let it go. I cancel the debt. In fact, what I say is they don't owe me anything. That's what forgiveness is. You let it go. In fact, the Greek word means to lift up, like to throw away or to to release like a bird flying away is what it has has the idea there. Now, you may say, that person needs to apologize to me because what they did. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness says, I'm letting go. It's over. I'm releasing them from the debt. Yeah, but if you knew what my father said to me, if you knew what my father did to me, if you knew what my mother did, if you knew what my brother did, if you knew what this worker did, if you knew what that did, listen, let it go. Because the only person that hurts when you don't forgive is you. It doesn't hurt them. They don't even care. They could care less if they did anything to you. They don't, in fact, if you said to them, you hurt me, they go, tough. Or, I didn't hurt you. You're just a baby. That's what's wrong with you. No, I'm not just a baby. Yes, you are. They don't even care. You need to, you need to come to me and ask for forgiveness. I'm not even going to talk to you. So if you wait on them, you'll be bitter. So let it go. That's what forgiveness is. It's releasing the debt. Now, that doesn't mean that you will not have memories. And it doesn't mean you will not have emotions connected with the event. And sometimes you think about that event maybe even years later and there's still bad memories and there's still bad emotions. That doesn't mean you have not forgiven. You're a human being and those memories and emotions will maybe some of them will always be there. Some people may say to you, well, if you still have feelings about it, you haven't forgiven. Yes, you have. If you've released the debt and let it go, you've forgiven. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Cancel the debt. That's what it is. So, God's the judge. God is sovereign. Repay evil with good and forgive as we are forgiven in Christ. Next time, we're going to finish the book of Genesis and then... By the grace of God, we're going to start through the book of Exodus, and we're going to get not very not very far. We're going to get them uh, out of Egypt, okay? Because we can't leave them down in Egypt, right? Can't do that. We got to see them take Joseph's bones, because Joseph's going to do the same thing. We're going to see it next week when Joseph dies. Joseph said, "By the way, when you leave here, take my bones, because I don't want to be resurrected here either." And we're going to see them take him out. 
It's pretty good stuff. Application. Let's think about it. First of all, trust God in the events of our lives. We've got to trust him. He's sovereign. He's working all things. We look at things and we say, why did this happen? How could this have happened? What's going on? We just have to trust him. We, we, the unknown future is safe in the all-knowing hands of God. That's what it is. Number two, keep our word. If we say it, do it. Joseph said, I'm going to go over there and come back. When we say something, let's do it. Because that's, that, that stands us out from the culture. Because the culture doesn't keep their word. The culture doesn't keep their word. In fact, they make uh, contracts, and then there's loopholes saying, get out of these contracts. They even sign their name, and they still try to break their word. Be people who keep our word. The third thing is forgive one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. And remember the four things, and there they are. God is the judge, not us. He's the sovereign one. He's working all these events. Always give, repay evil with good. That's the hardest one, I think. And forgive as we are forgiven in Christ. Release the debt. May we rest in our sovereign God, keeping our word, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the passage. Thank you for so much is there. Lord, we look at Jacob and he dies and, and he wants to be buried back and, and where the family is because that's where he wants to be resurrected because he believes the promises. Lord, may we be men and women who believe the promises and trust you and all of those things and trust you in the events of our lives. And Lord, may we keep our word just like Joseph did. He told Pharaoh he'd go there, bury his father and come back and that's exactly what he did. We want to be people who... who uh, Keep our word and be men and women of character. And then, Lord, may we forgive others. Lord, we know that it's so hard. But you're sovereign. You're the one who gets the vengeance. We always return evil with good. And we forgive as we've been forgiven in Christ. Lord, help us to do this. We know that it is a supernatural act, not a natural act. Thank you, Lord. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do these things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know we went over a little bit, so anybody questions, comments, anything? Input? Yeah, Gary. Exactly. I think, you, I think, did y'all hear what he said? I think it's a really good picture. When Joseph's brothers li- most likely lie to him, because he understands they're lying. I mean, he, he doesn't think his daddy wrote a note and said, uh, don't, don't, well, after I'm dead, don't get after the boys. You know, and he sees them coming to him after all this time, and they're lying again, and they're just afraid that he's going to get them. And what does he do? He weeps. And just as Gary said, just as Jesus Christ gets ready to go and the nation of Israel has continued to reject him, he came into his own. This is good. We're going to see it in John chapter 1. came into his own and his own received him not. His own people did not receive him. And what did he do over Jerusalem? He said, oh, Israel, Israel, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to bring you together just like a, like a big chicken brings her little, hen, little, little chicks under her and protects them. And you wouldn't listen to me. And he wept over the city. So that's a great point. What else? Anything else? Any other inputs? Anything? Uh, forgiveness, if we don't forgive others, we will, yeah, we will not be in fellowship with God. And the truth, that's, that's the bottom line. And sometimes people don't understand why they're so miserable and why they don't have joy. Because the joy of your salvation comes when you're in fellowship with God. You can lose the joy of your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. You lose the joy of your salvation. And so you're exactly right. When there is anger and bitterness and lack of forgiveness in our lives, then we're, we're out of fellowship with God. You're exactly right. Good point. What else? Anything else? 
Okay, thanks for coming. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thanks for each one who's here. May we have a great time, Lord, as we continue to live for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, y'all.